everyone. Welcome to another episode of Daily Wisdom Words Podcast. I am your co-host, Rene O'Day. Hey guys, I am your co-host, Neil Turetti, and we want to give you a very warm welcome to our latest episode. Join us every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time as we talk to guests who have stories, advice, and life hacks, all of which take you one step closer to the feeling of hope. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor today to welcome back one of our most distinguished guests we have ever had, somatic experiencing practitioner and yoga instructor, Sharon LaFlemme. Hi, Sharon. Welcome Sharon, back. Sharon, it is such an honor. It's like coming home to be with you two, <laughs> right? And I got the invitation to come back and I was like, oh, yay, because we just like an hour, you just really touch on the powerful gifts that we have on this earth to help heal ourselves because we are our own healers. We are our greatest asset. And so thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure. Uh, I wish uh, people could have heard what we were talking about prior to, um, you know, coming on because I mean, you are just a godsend. You are. I mean, the, people need to, hear about you and talk to you and get to know you. And so that's what we're going to do today. Some more Sharon. We could call the episode some more Sharon because we're Sharon. (laughs) We're sharing Sharon. And and you know what what I really love to do is educate people um, and help them become their best version of themselves. And, and so I like to also open up almost every discovery session and chance an opportunity when I meet somebody is to just ask you, the listener, and you, Neil and Rini, when was the last time you checked in with yourself and saw how are you feeling in your heart and soul? How is your body temperature? How's your tension level? What's your breathing like? Do you feel relaxed and settled? Or do you feel something different in your body and really connect and check in and notice? And this noticing isn't about, oh, I've got to change it. No, it's about your body's always telling you how you feel. Just notice it. It'll tell you, do I feel safe? Do I feel upset? Do I feel whatever? Do I feel relaxed? Do I feel tension? And just notice what your body's telling you. And Be a friend with it and just be aware of it. And as you send your attention to it, your healing qualities and abilities start working on releasing and healing and and just letting it know, I care about you. How are you doing right now? And one of the things that you did touch upon was uh, the trauma survivors, how they dissociate, right? So Mm -hmm. this is really a two-part question, but to start off with, what is what do trauma patients or trauma survivors rather do to dissociate is it like do they repress that memory do they just try to distract themselves with something else what exactly happens when you start dissociating do you just tune out numb yourself how does that work in the trauma survivors uh, mind see and and here i've got i might ask you to repeat some of this question but what you just said at the end reminded me that the biggest myth in the work that I do with trauma people is that we believe it's a psychological 
damage and it's a biological damage. It affects our body and the limbic system, which means it's our autonomic nervous system. It's our reptilian body that reacts and, and, and makes us survive. Our heart rate works with it, our startle response, our shivering response, every response to keep us alive is nothing we control, okay? It's all in our, in our very old reptilian brain, in the brainstem. Wow. And then we have trauma. Trauma happens to the nervous system because it's too much, too overwhelming, too overstimulating, too violating, too loud, whatever it is, depending on this, and it's, it's not the event, it's the nervous system's ability to not be able to handle the stimulus. And the body recognizes that. Just like when a loud bang happens you're not expecting, the, you don't have to tell the body what to do. The same thing with a trauma. The body automatically kicks in, and if it's a traumatic experience, a disassociation, a numbness can happen. That's the way the body saves itself from too much stimulus. It's saying, we've got too much electricity firing through this system, and we're going to pop if we don't shut him or her down. And right. so ways, disassociating is a, a, like a numbness. Numbness is usually prior to it, um, but it's a way of just cutting off from the stimulus because it's too much. And it's a very natural response to saving the system or the body. Right. And wow. so it's nothing that happens consciously, which is why, again, it's not a mind or a, a psychological event. It's a biological event. And when the trauma comes, that's so overwhelming. And if you're a little person, it doesn't take much to be overwhelmed. True. And so the, the body naturally goes into these responses. And, and, and then there's the response, which could appear to be disassociative, which is called the dorsal basal reflex. And that's when the body comes in and shuts down the body with this response that kind of puts it in a deadening state because the body's just right. like on full throttle. Cause I like to think of sympathetic is the gas pedal and parasympathetic is the brake. So we're on full sympathetic drive. We're about to overheat and pop dorsal vagal, which is a very primitive part of the limbic system comes on and says, breaking down your blood pressure plummets, your heart rate plummets, everything plummets. And people think, you know, like people going around in this state all the time, we're finding out it's, um, it's almost like sympathetic drive. You're feeling like this, but you're feeling very lethargic. You're feeling depressed. You're feeling lack of initiative to even get out of bed or think. This is all the dorsal vagal coming in to get you out of that super activated state. Neil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go on. Because I want to talk to you about the paravagal. Could you could you explain the paravagal? Polly, para para Polly, you know, polyvagal. Polyvagal. Uh, <laughs> you know that thing where you get older and you need glasses and you're too um, uh, cool for school. Oh, I don't need glasses. Ah, I need glasses. Polly <laughs> oh, looked like para to me. <laughs> 
the polyvagal theory is what um, Stephen Porges developed 20, 25 years ago. And so for psychiatrists, it started really re redoing trauma work um, because his theory is that uh, there is your autonomic nervous system. There's your sympathetic, which I call your gas pedal. We're mobilized. We're ready to go on different intensities. We have the parasympathetic, which is your break, your relaxation portion. It has two branches, and this is what Stephen Porges decided or determined, that this ventral vagal does not come on board. It takes 17 years to myelinate and be lovingly cared for by a caregiver that helps to develop the ability to intensely move or slowly move or that whole gas pedal. Because if you don't have a ventral vagal, you go from relaxed to super high really fast. And those of us traumatized, we don't have that in between because we didn't have the ventral vagal's ability to go from, oh, I'm slowly getting irritated. Now I'm frustrated. Now you're really ticking me off. And now I'm really mad. And now, but you know, we go from here to here if we didn't develop a ventral vagal system, which is 17 years of growing. So you're talking about from birth to the age of 17 where your That's parents right. are the ones that are, wow. That they are the one, that one caregiver that resonates, that, that heart chakra and that nervous system resonates. So that baby that's crying and screaming and that mama takes it in, their nervous system is now connecting with coherence to mama. And so now her nervous system teaches the baby's nervous system how to myelinate, how to calm, how to soothe. Like one of the things I posted on, on social media was like, nobody ever calmed down by telling you, calm down. I know. <laughs> this is something that is so true. The nervous system has to learn this. And if we didn't get this developed, guess what? We didn't learn it. We learned coping capacities so we could fit in and not piss everyone off, right? We learned to right. stuff it. We learned to shove it. We learned to not express it because it wasn't acceptable. And being acceptable was more important than having these authentic feelings that nobody showed us how to, to deal with. And then there's the dorsal vagal, and that's very, very primitive. And that comes in like in a car accident or in a, in a little child that's kept there screaming, which is why I do not like Dr. Spock. I had a, did a bunch of stuff of YouTube. I brought it up last time. You don't let your needs go by, your feeding needs, your sleeping needs, your crying needs. No. no. That baby decides nobody's going to take care of me. I'm not going to survive. And the nervous system gets so upset, it shuts the stealth down with a dorsal vagal response or in a highly traumatic you know, situation where the nervous system just, which is why we don't have a memory of, oh, I have no memory of this. Yeah, because you got shut down to, yeah. to save. Because these are primitive survival wow. systems. This whole thing is automatic, and it's survival. Yeah. So you can't think your way out of survival. Your body's going to respond. You just taught me so much. So much you need to write a book. Answer. There was so much depth there. You do. Don't I you might. think you should write a book? I'm serious. Yes. I might. You I are. I've been writing, and I actually like, might. The way you articulate that is just 
but I don't see that in too many people. You don't explain it in medical terms. No. Yeah. Main terms, and that really. And that's where I, I I'm so appreciative of what you're saying to me because it means that people understand this. Like on it's this is a cellular biological aspect of us that society doesn't render important. They think it's all up here that's important. But when we speak to someone, they were taught that. Right. And when we, yeah. sp- and, and it's not validated as, as important in schools, you're being judged all the time. Well, the autonomic nervous system doesn't want to be judged. It wants to be loved and accepted, right? It doesn't want judgment. And so mm-hmm. when you speak to someone's heart and soul and you let them know that it's okay to love this body that's always keeping it safe and to tune into it. There's a whole different meaning and understanding and dimension that we can live at that's so fulfilling. In the first four years of life, we are basically built. Our nervous system is wired. And if our nervous system didn't have the caregiver and and the support and it got, and it's rewired in this threatening state, it changes our brain chemistry. It changes our body's chemistry. It changes everything about us. But the good news is, we can heal it. We can re-help that ventral vagal. We can re-regulate the nervous system. And if we can get enough adults regulated and healed, the next generations will not go through this. Yeah, so true. And, uh, you know, this is a, uh, I think I mentioned this even last time we were talking to you, is that a recurring theme that keeps coming up is being in tune with your body to start this healing journey right and being in tune with your emotions recognizing them and you know this is something i've always wondered that i have a few like friends who are trauma survivors like severe severe trauma survivors and one of the things that uh they find a little bit troubling is they say because of forgetting it and not being in tune for so many years like you were just talking about or forgetting or or physically suppressing that when their healing journey starts or their therapy starts or they get in touch with somebody like you and and try and all these things come up and at first glance it sort of scares them right revisiting some of the things that is that so what advice would you give to those people who start this therapy and in the beginning it's almost sort of scary like oh my god i'm gonna have to revisit what's making me sad what's making me angry what's making me scared would you say you know trust in the process or it'll get better or in the long run it's going to get a lot better what would you say to those people oh thank you for this question and i think it can be so helpful for people because the coping mechanisms coping behaviors disassociations or whatever we've chosen addictions or however we found to not feel the trauma saved us so first we say thank you for saving me because i probably would have died without it but whatever happened with these these saving mechanisms these coping mechanisms as we start to work with the nervous system and start to allow ourselves to feel unsafe enough, which is a process of teaching the nervous system to come down into that parasympathetic relaxed state, which that's a journey in itself for those of us that are traumatized. And if you're already in dorsal vagal, you're you're there automatically. And when you start feeling 
it's really scary because it's intense. Either dorsal vagal shut it down or we shut it down with our survival techniques. But the process is about titration, which means gently, slowly honoring. We honor, we don't overwhelm the system by trying to crash that survival technique down. We don't try to like, I've got to stop this. No, we did this to keep alive. We need to build the parasympathetic safe place where we build confidence, strength, security, safety. We start to feel better in our body and shifting more safely. And then slowly we start to feel some of what comes up. And, uh, and that's part of my job facilitating is not to let somebody right up there into the scary stuff. We slow it down. We bring it down into manageable bites. We let that portion of it release and complete with sensation and feeling so that it's, because if we let it come up and it's overwhelming, you've just re-traumatized that nervous system that is saving itself with all those practices of survival. The trauma is there because we were overwhelmed. So we honor the body's ability to keep us safe. So we never push past, which is why we keep them for years and years. They're survival techniques. They've helped us survive. We, you know, that's why we've had them. Um, So I like people to honor that and thank that. And then when we realize that, you know, they're not helping anymore and we start to slowly, slowly build the reserves and the nervous system that's going to give you the strength to pull you out of that so that you can actually feel it without being overwhelmed overstimulated and go back into a trauma state. And that brain doesn't come back on board until we start shifting the nervous system back down into a safe, relaxed place. And again, that has to happen with the body because the, the brain doesn't make the decision, I'm safe. The body lets you know if you're safe. It's not a thought. Oh, I'm safe. We can tell ourselves we're safe and that might help us cognitively say, well, you know what? You're okay. But when the body feels safe, it relaxes. The threat response goes away and we come into a relaxed healing state automatically. And the body feels all the things around us, senses the things happening, remembers things that have happened, and it decides if we're safe or not. What what is the best way, do you feel, to get you out of flight or fight? Like... You know, when you like, oh my gosh, we were, you had mentioned earlier about like a loud sound popping or something like that. And for some reason, these kids down the block are still letting off fireworks. And when I hear that sound, I just go boom into this, you know, crazy, you know, fight or flight. And I breathe, you know, I mean, would you? No, I'd love to tell you a few things. Um, So a a good way to know how resilient and the kind of capacity your nervous system has, because that's what we're really learning and training and, and teaching when we remove the trauma. We have a nervous system now that can respond to a threat, bang, and it comes back down relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Traumatized, 
boom, we're up here and it could take days or weeks to come back down because our nervous system didn't build capacity and resilience with that ventral vagal and everything else. So what I help people do is find what it is that you do in your life that makes you get in that Zen zone, you know, sewing, meditating, reading, breathing, yoga, walking in nature. Where is it your animals that you just know your, your husband or spouse or kids that you just know, I feel so safe and comforted. And for a lot of people, that's their families. That's that family unit with the ventral vagal mm-hmm. socializing that they go with their socialization and they feel so safe and loved. And those are how we get out of this high stuff. We get around a nervous system that's calm, relaxed, or we, get, or we learn to teach our nervous system with our resources, whatever it is that is good for you, and you start doing the breathing and the whatever to support the coming back down and bringing yourself there. And body awareness is another thing. When you get that like loud noise, feel your feet on the ground, press them into the ground, ground yourself. Notice what it's like to be sitting in that chair and feel the seat and feel your bones connecting. And all of a sudden, everything else outside doesn't matter anymore. You come inside and the body says, ah, she's here. Oh my gosh, I love that, Sharon. I love that. I love Ah. that because it brought back, Ah. I remember once I was, I I just remembered this because it's relatable that I asked a counselor one time, like, what do I do if I get a nightmare? And he said, as soon as your eyes open, he told me, feel your bed, feel your comforter, and tell yourself, I'm in my bedroom, I'm in my bed, not in the jungle in my nightmare or wherever mm-hmm. I was, whatever scared. So it just reminded me, I love that. I love what you just said there. You've been doing for what you've been doing for so many years and helping so many people and, of course, helping yourself as well along the way. Uh, who are some of the people that I know because I'm sure of it that your patients must, your clients rather, must look up to you and what you teach them because I can tell we can tell rather right off this interview how mm-hmm. good you are at your job. <laughs> Who were some of the people that you learned from and took information from along the years? And maybe even a few books you read or authors that really um, impressed you and you incorporated that, incorporated that into your services. And so way, way back in my feeling before I ever understood somatic work and, and the powerful transformation we can have, um, you probably know of a lady named Louise Hay. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can heal your life. Was one of I the painted sp- that heart. I painted that heart. Yeah, I did. This is, this is a very old version. It's probably four mm-hmm. years old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting into uh, Deepak's work, getting into the yogic or Ayurvedic philosophies, my yoga teacher training, the Reiki. I mean, just getting into modalities and thought processes that were healing and positive and helpful. So I've probably read every self-help book in the market back in AA times and Melody Beattie and all this this stuff. Um, But as of late, I think it's the the somatic work of Peter Levine and Vessel van der Kolk and those um, forefront runners of trauma that really like, I'm in the Polyvagal Institute where um, Stephen Porges and as you know, we're getting into schools, 
we're getting into places where people can have this understanding about this marvelous nervous system that really controls our life. And we're out of control when we let it. And so it's like revolutionary. So that's why I've really gotten more passionate because not just did it turn into this healing passion, but it turned into this, we need to educate people about who and what we are to really move the needle forward in the in where we're heading in a healing environment. Well, you you prior, I mean, I don't want to say uh, prior, but you were a hairdresser for what, 40 years? 44 and so years. that's... <laughs> That's incredible because simultaneously you are doing this, educating yourself and this. What was it? I mean, when did that light bulb go off for you? Oh, when were I was you 18. in a conversation or like? Oh, when you... I was 18, I decided that I was going to heal my life and jump into the self-help improvement and start running and teaching aerobics and and uh, and then I was hairdressing because I had to. I was a young, divorced, single mother, and I went back into hairdressing. But I can't tell you how many people said to me, you've helped me more than five years of therapy. And you know what? My hairdresser I and I, that. she knows more about my life than anybody else. <laughs> and I've always had this intuitive, empathic ability, not just to help heal myself because of what I've been through, but this desire to help other people. So I've always healed people as, or helped facilitate healing people because it's, it's just like this inner drive for me to help people. You know, we all have triggers. Everybody in this world has triggers. What are your triggers? And, you know, I mean, obviously you know how to cope much better than, you know, most people. So we all have, you know, triggers that really they're the principal, most important principles of our defining parts of who we are. Like for me, justice is one of them. I really mm -hmm. feel I get mm -hmm. triggered when I see injustices. Justice. Those oh, my God. There's like six or seven oh, major God, yeah. principles that we can tell what somebody like lives by. And you can tell from why you get triggered, right? Um, and that is probably my number one trigger is injustice. And I have to really, um, you know, work in my brain when I get triggered about, you know, what I'm perceiving and, and, and everybody, I lo love to know that every soul has the right to think and, and behave the way uh -huh. they want to. Um, uh -huh. And I also get triggered now with people thinking, they have the right to tell other people how to live that, you know, so it's, it's, it's all interesting, but justice is really probably one of my most um, principled part of my life. Oh. We touched, um, you know, we just, a while ago, we were talking about your YouTube channel and there are a couple of things that when I was checking it out and so many fascinating videos, you have all these different categories of, exercises and things you can do and affirmations but a couple of things i thought we could touch on for those who may not have seen the video what is the significance i know like you said one thing was the effects of swaying mm -hmm. and wall squats is what i'm so can you explain i'm just that fascinated me the significance of the two things like what's going on with your body and these two activities that you um talked about the benefits of on your channel so when when 
um, swaying is like a natural thing to do. Now, a lot of autistic kids probably do this. This is how we regulate a nervous system. This is how we regulate a child. But suddenly when we grow up, it's not acceptable to do this. But if you want to get your hemispheres, right and left hemispheres, more balanced and connected and feel more grounded, this can be so soothing and so calming to a nervous system. And, oh my and God, in the last 10 seconds, yeah. my body feels incredible. Yeah. And if you become part of that sway, I'm going to sway and breathe in. I'm going to sway and breathe out. And when you start connecting your cortexes and your nervous system with your movement, you start making yourself whole and connected in a, in a way that's okay. There's the same thing with teaching breathing. Breathing is one of the fastest ways we can inform the brain we're safe. This, we start feeling safe. The breathing, deep, full, diaphragmatic breaths inform the brain. I'm safe because the brain knows when it starts breathing fast and heavy, I'm not safe. I, I'm in a threat state. The wall squats are a way of really getting you deeply into the core of your body because we do it so that the muscles start shaking and you can't avoid being out of your body if you really feel those muscles start shaking. I like stay in it so that your body is really, really holding you and you get a sense of how important the body works to hold me. Just to hold you upright and keep you balanced, you just don't realize how hard the body works to keep you safe. And when you're doing something of real hard work, that body is always trying to support, hold, and keep you safe. And so when that body starts shaking in a wall squat, you can't bring your attention too far away from it. It's really calling you inward, which is why I invite that as a, as a tool, because it's real hard to not go inward. And when you come out of it, the other thing, and I'm so happy this came up, um, is one of the things that we don't value, and especially as a traumatized society, we need to, is when we come out of that wall squat and we start to feel the body say, oh, thank goodness, oh, I'm relaxing, oh, the blood is starting to flow, oh, I can stop quivering and shaking and feel how happy the body is to be done that work. So when we start offering, receiving nice, wonderful compliments like I've got, some wonderful, good, pleasurable foods or experiences or things that feel really good, we need to really embrace them and hold them and enjoy them so that we can teach the nervous system that there is a bunch of really good stuff going on for us. It's not always painful. And you know what? I love the wall squats. And if everybody could go outside in the sunshine for 10 minutes a day and do some wall squats, hello, right? Because mm -hmm. yeah, sunshine nature. people, sunshine, is nature, food, earth. Yeah, the earth has an electromagnetic ions that are just this that just calm our nervous system. It's in the, oh. in the same resonance. So sometimes all you have to do is ground on the earth and you can rewire yourself to feeling safer and better. You have really 
touch so many people. I don't really think you know that because um, the feedback that we got on the last show was really incredible. Um, just from people DMing us and, you know, saying things. And, and it makes me feel really good that, that the messages that I'm saying are being heard and understood mm -hmm. because I do think it's so easy to just, you know, try to speak this language that just flies over people's head. And again, it, it goes in and out of the head and we need to touch the heart and the body and the soul because that's where we heal. Well, like I said in the beginning, and people didn't get to hear, I got invited back and I feel like I'm with family. And guess I what? I feel safe You're with you guys. And that's where my work starts. I have that discovery session. I just had one yesterday with a doctor. And I said, you have to decide. Do you feel that you can feel safe with me? Because the work doesn't happen. But look what happens when we feel safe. The body now can naturally bring up its wisdom and starts to bring up the tears, starts to bring up the fears, starts to wants to heal, but it only will happen when the, we are safe. We hide it and repress it and stuff it because we aren't safe to bring it up in the world. The world lets us know we aren't safe to do that. But when we're safe, our body just naturally wants to heal. And that is why if I didn't say it before, Neil, with one of your questions, is safety is the number one aspect once the person gets there. doesn't matter how much trauma is there. Once we find safety, and that's like our security and our rock, then we can start to slowly let it come up in a tangible, titrated, manageable way. And it's all about finding safety in the body, being in safe places, finding a room by yourself if you have to have a safe place because it won't happen without the safety. That's true. So true. So true. And you make us feel safe. And you, you make, make me feel safe. You really do. You've touched me in ways I can't even explain. And you make me want to be a better person. You do. You make yeah. me want to heal my life. But I love you, sister. I love you, too. I love you, Neil. Thank you, everyone, for watching. And thank you, Sharon, for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at all the links listed in the description. And don't forget to hit like on this video and subscribe to this channel so you never miss an episode. And if you want to show us a little extra love, we also have a link for donations now. Thank you, everyone, once again, and we will see you right here next week at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Goodbye. Goodbye.